the more that I learn about our bodies and specifically female bodies. The body is so amazing, so complex, and really how different we all are is something that I think we need to be bringing more into the ballet world. Instead, it's always focused kind of on making everybody look the same, and I think that's boring. Hey dancers, welcome to the show. I'm Julie, and I'm your host today on this episode of Broche Banter. I both own and teach at Broche Ballet, a virtual ballet school just for adults. Join us as we explore all things adult ballet. Today on the show, I chat with Elizabeth from The Whole Point. We talk about her journey starting ballet at age 14 and getting her first professional contract at age 19. But that didn't come without its challenges and we talk about her experience with disordered eating and how she has rediscovered her self-worth after spending her ballet career at the bottom of the ballet hierarchy. The conversation winds to so many lovely topics, including the exciting future possibilities of the budding world of online performances. She now leads the Beyond Ballet community, which is a membership group that helps adult dancers develop positive mindsets to support their lifelong love of ballet through journaling, meditation, and visualization. Enjoy. Before we get to the show, let's take our broche bite. On this segment, we'll talk about bite-sized ballet tidbits to give you something to chew on while you listen. In this episode, Elizabeth talks about the ballet hierarchy, so let's bite into what that is. While the organization of a ballet company can vary, the ballet world has a set of customs about the structure of the hierarchy within a ballet company. The artistic director of the company directs the artistic vision of the works that the company performs. Choreographers may create original works or set classical ballets. The ballet master or mistress often directs rehearsals as well as teaches daily ballet class. Within the dancers, there are three main ranks. The corps de ballet, that's three words. The first word corps is spelled C-O-R-P-S, like the word body, soloists, and principal dancers. The corps de ballet is where most pros get their start and is a big group of dancers who dance in unison and make really cool formations on the stage to frame the soloists and the principals. A classical ballet would not be the same without the corps de ballet. Soloists are the middle level where they will dance solo roles to showcase their skills. In the Nutcracker, these would be roles like the Spanish dance, Russian dance, or Arabian dance. Principal dancers are at the top. This level requires both incredible technical skills as well as artistry, acting, and stage presence. In the Nutcracker, principals would dance the roles of Sugar Plum Fairy or the Cavalier. Now, onto the show. Well, today on the show, I am so excited to welcome you, Elizabeth, from The Whole Point on Instagram, on YouTube, on so many fabulous platforms. I am so excited to chat with you. So welcome to the show. Yay! Super excited. Ballet is my favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> yes, ballet is so good to talk about. Um, we, we have a little bit of history together. We worked together for a little bit while Broche Ballet had the Denver studios. You were you taught for us a little bit there. We did some videos, YouTube collaboration together because yeah. we actually don't live too far from each other even now. Right. So I think maybe even I might live closer to you now that I'm further north. Oh, um, yeah. Possibility. Um, but so yeah, we, we have had a lot of connection and every time we get together, I swear we talk for five hours. So we are going to do our best to keep this within a reasonable podcast listening amount, but <laughs> we could talk about ballet all day. Yes, definitely. So, um, okay, let's just talk briefly about how you got into the ballet world. Right now you have a very strong voice in the ballet community, helping people find their place in, in ballet. And your message of the whole point is very much that you're a whole person and you're a whole dancer and it's more about the dance itself. But 
where did this all start? How did you even start dance in the first place? Yeah, so I didn't know anything of the ballet world until I was 14 and my best friend wanted to take a class, but she didn't want to go by herself. We were actually doing like um, kind of worship dance at the church we were at. And so the lady who led that suggested it to her. And my best friend was like, I'm not going by myself. You have to go. And so who knew, right? Who had any clue that my whole life trajectory was going to change? But even after I started taking class at 14, it still took like another year till I realized like, I really love this and I just want to do it all of the time. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, then from there, I went to a more serious studio. At 15, I was put in class of like eight and nine year olds. It was quite a ego journey. <laughs> and then I... Um, Got to take class from so many amazing people in Chicago and got my first ballet contract at 19 with uh, Joffrey as a, um, I forget what it's called now, but they just needed someone for Giselle, an extra person. And I got a contract. It was like the most unreal moment of my life. Did you basically get to be one of the willies standing in the back, like being dead the whole time? <laughs> yeah, I got to understudy a lot. Oh, cool. And so I had to learn like multiple willies and I would switch who I was. And then I got to learn like the peasants and be one of the royalty and just they at the time they were a little bit smaller and this they were starting to just break into the bigger ballets. And so they would bring people in for those. But yeah, it was wild. That's amazing. And okay, so you danced, did you take any breaks between 14 and 19? Or was that just like constant straight through like you went from A to Z started got your contracts? Or what happened in there? Yeah, yeah. So at 14, I started taking class like once a week. And then uh, I, as I progressed through that year, I started to do more classes. I think I was doing like three times a week. And then when I switched studios, uh, that first studio had actually put me on point probably too early. So when I switched studios, it was kind of like starting over and I got taken off point, put in the class with the little kids. I was working my way up through that studio when I took an open class in Chicago and met um, Patty Eiler, who I always refer to as my mentor because she really took me under her wing. I moved downtown and lived with her and took class all the time and and yeah, that was how I took a summer intensive at Joffrey. It was actually the first time they ever offered a summer intensive. And it was after that, that fall, that I got that call. I was, I was out of Panera with my friends and I took the call outside and I think I literally got like down on the, the street. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> it was. It's definitely a highlight moment. Well, that, I mean, it's amazing because to start at 14 and have a contract and, and kind of a role at 19 is, is, uh, is, is amazing and incredible. And wow, what a, yeah. what a journey. What a ride I'm sure that was. It was. I definitely didn't expect it. So it yeah. was. So that time in people, I've, so obviously with this podcast and with owning the studios for a while, I've talked with so many people who experienced ballet in that period of time. And 
many of them quit at some point during that period of time because of so many reasons, sometimes just moving, sometimes life, but sometimes because it is just a really intense place to be as a teenage girl. As a teenage girl, life is hard as a whole, like the whole thing right. yeah. <laughs> obviously is very complicated. But when you stick a teenage girl going through puberty in a leotard and tights in a room with a bunch of other teenage girls with people judging their bodies and judging their abilities, mm. it's a very intense place. Was it for you as well? Or did you kind of breeze through it and not have that? No, yeah, reason? it definitely was. I think I had a different perception going into it because I hadn't been brought up in that culture. Um, I really had I really had no idea, like, I heard other people talk negatively about their bodies, but it wasn't until I got a specific talk from a ballet teacher that I was like, I remember being like, oh, wait a second, what? And that really did change the trajectory for me. I think I was like 17 then, so I made it two, three years and feeling this, pretty good. <laughs> this talk was like a teacher pulled you aside and was like, so Elizabeth, like about your body. Yes. Yeah, wow. they were trying to help. I believe, um, but they were basically like, they were trying to tell me that they believed in me that I could go places, but that um, I had to change my diet and lose weight. It was, I was not expecting that either. That was a hard conversation. Did you talk with your parents about it? No. No, it, it really like, it hit me so hard and so unexpectedly that I immediately believed like, oh my gosh, everyone's known this whole time oh. that like, you know, that I need to do this and nobody's told me till now and I'm going to get on it, you know? And yeah. th that started like a very long journey with disordered eating and over-exercising and stuff like that. So it's, really unfortunate to me which is why I talk about it all the time now that such a beautiful art form has this like really sad dark kind of under belly why why does it does it does it have to be that way is ballet pretty if you're not thin what does it have to be like that what do you think I don't think so <laughs> I don't think so I'm so against that especially the more that I learn about our bodies and specifically female bodies and our hormones and our muscles and just the body is so amazing so complex and really how different we all are is something that I think we need to be bringing more into the ballet world because the way that you approach your body the way that you approach your training and your eating will make all of the difference in your performance and your success. Mm -hmm. And it's not talked about a lot. Instead, it's always focused kind of on making everybody look the same. And I think that's boring. Well, it's so interesting because classical ballet, it, when you're on the surface level, looks very uniform, right? The whole point is to be uniform. The whole point is to do right. it exactly if there's one first arabesque and here is the perfect ideal of it and I think that's where there's so much I feel like with adult dancers we we feel so much that if we don't have perfect turnout we're not doing ballet if we don't right. have our extensions we're not doing ballet if it's not that we're not doing ballet like it feels like if it's not perfect you're not doing it except right realistically there's a spectrum of it and you could be yeah. anywhere along that spectrum and realistically the audience doesn't even know what perfect turnout is and is really looking at your expression and your right. many many other things right and I think we have to look at you know 
where ballet came from historically and how any art form kind of has to change with the times, right? And I just wonder, like, is that even what audiences really want? Do they just want to see everyone who's exactly the same doing exactly the same thing? Or are we starting to really embrace people's differences and the fact that the way that a certain person expresses their art is valuable, even if it's different than someone else's? And also, like, everybody's going to have different tastes and perceptions. So in ballet, something that I've been talking about recently a lot is this whole ballet hierarchy. You know, it's like almost like a really old school cast system where you have like the artistic directors and the people who are in charge of the companies. And then you have like the principal artists and the soloists and the core and then pre-professional students and students and like it's just so interesting to me really how it has all sustained that way even as a society as we've come out of stuff like that and I just think that we need to call it into question like why is it that this person gets to put the stamp of approval and say this is it this is the only definition and everybody goes along with it yeah it's uh it's it is an organization at the end of the day, like any other company or any other organization. And I think there's so much with an organization, obviously having run an organization and been in many organizations, there's so much to be said for taking into account the perspectives from other people within the organization to say, here's what I think about this. What do you guys think about this? Ultimately, ultimately the person at the top has their name and their money on the line. So ultimately there's the final call. But in if you are creating something that represents your organization it's not necessarily just you and your perspective and your only your ideas right yeah and that's what I would say is like when I first which was I would only say like a couple years ago when I first realized that the hierarchy system in ballet and just everything how it's set up is a structure within the ballet culture and it's not like a tangible thing, right? It's something that we all agree upon and agree to play those roles and, you know, respect the rules and everything. I think what's really important is it's fine to play those roles and to respect that as long as you're not tying it to like your truth and your worth. You know, I think like in order to dance in a company or to be uh, auditioning and stuff, yeah, you have to respect those things because that's the way that ballet is set up and that's fine you just don't want to take it on as like because I'm not this level I am not worthy I can't talk to this person I can't try this I can't do this that sort of thing why is it that ballet seems to have this like not worthy thing going on in general what's it what's that about does everyone have that or is that or is that an us thing <laughs> I, w I wonder about that too. Every time I talk about it lately, I try to make like the, the insert of like, I'm sure it's a problem elsewhere because I know everywhere people worry about being enough and worthy, but like the ballet world definitely seems to just be dripping with it. So that's such a good question. And I think it is because like what you were talking about with the teenage girls, our our instrument is our body, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not like we can go set it down at the end of the day. That's something I used to always think about as a teenager. I was like, it's not fair. Like, I can't like just put my clarinet down and go have fun, right? Everywhere I take my body, it's with mm -hmm. me. 
and it's always top of mind. So I think because our instrument is such a personal thing and because we are um, in the business of critiquing it, I mean, that's part of getting better. It just kind of sets us up for um, those negative thoughts as, as well as like ballet is never a finished thing where somebody's gonna be like, okay, you're done. You have nothing else to work on. <laughs> well, and if they do say that, then generally you go find a new coach. <laughs> right, that's exactly right, yeah. It's a never ending <laughs> journey. The idea that you're enough on your journey is just a super interesting one. And you and I have talked about it a little bit on our Instagram um, to independently and together. Um, but I think there's a, like I was saying a little bit with the idea that if you're not perfect, you're not doing it or you're not even mm. part. Like, and you've been talking about this recently too, that if you are dancing, you are a dancer. You don't have right. to be finished to be a dancer. And I had someone comment on my Instagram once that was like, stop calling yourself a ballerina. You're not a ballerina. And I was like, dude, like I'm doing ballet. I'm going to keep Excuse calling me? myself this. <laughs> like, yeah. Who asked you? <laughs> I know. I'm like, who? you're welcome to not look at my page. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> if you don't so like funny. what you see. So it's like this, this weird judgment that we put our, on ourselves that unless you are at the top, unless you are, but as you put it in your words at the top of the hierarchy, you're not enough until you arrive there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just think, um, I think that's so interesting that that whole journey of like claiming the title of being a dancer or being a ballet dancer or being an artist. I've been talking about that a lot with, um, different, uh, people in my membership. And I tell them like, I struggled to claim that title until a couple of years ago. And I did dance professionally. I got paid to dance. Like, and yet still, it was like, I didn't feel like I could say that. And if someone introduced me and said, oh, yeah, Elizabeth, she's a dancer, I'd be like, oh, well, let me clarify that statement. This is what I've done, and I'm not really doing a lot right now. You know, and I just think mm -hmm. it's so funny because why? Why do we hold ourselves back from that? Because I think we're worried that someone's going to come along and say, no, you're not. Yep. And that's yep. just their opinion. And they can, they can think that and I can, yeah, they can think that. yeah, they can think that and it's irrelevant to the fact that I think something else. Right. Um, yeah. But it, it's funny when you're so like my, my degree is in computer science. I started out of school as a web developer and your first day of your job, you're like, I'm a web developer and you don't ever, you're not ever worried about calling yourself that. <laughs> like I never was worried about calling myself that, right? I was never like, Ooh, what are they going to say if they find out I'm a web developer? <laughs> So funny. It was yeah. very funny. Although now that I'm in this position, I don't even like to call myself a studio owner or um, a CEO or a huh. leader or anything like that. I wouldn't use those words to describe myself. Maybe it's because I took this myself and I didn't, no one gave it to me. And so it's weird mm. to claim it myself. But then that doesn't explain your thing where someone gave you the role of a dancer and you were like, well, no, not that. <laughs> so I don't know. It's, yeah, it's very interesting. Know, it is. The Our parts brain. of my life in which I've agreed to terms very easily and the parts when I'm like, no, I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm like a leader. It's <laughs> hilarious. You wouldn't say you're a studio owner? No, I wouldn't. It's or a CEO? not bizarre. I know. It's you not bizarre. <laughs> I've, been, I've been owning this business for what, over three years now. Yeah, that is. So but I wouldn't funny. call myself that. I, it's in my email signature, but I don't ever write it myself. It's just because it's written there and I wrote it a long time ago. And I'm like, oh, I'll just leave it there. That is so funny. Our brains are so funny. I don't get it. So that's why I keep trying to call it funny and laugh at it because I'm like, huh, I'm so curious. These human behaviors, like, 
why am I struggling with that? I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's very complicated. Um, and I think, I think within the dance world and something that I've been really trying to dig into with what we've been experiencing this year, specifically with not being able to do what we've all been used to doing is just struggling with our collective expectations around what we expect of ourselves and what we expect of ballet and what we expect mm -hmm. of our lives and just how all of that and just how the expectation itself is actually can be detrimental to your ability to continue working towards your goals. Right, right. And balancing like having expectations, right? Because I think it is a good thing to plan and make goals and have expectations but then not being so closely tied to those expectations that if you don't meet it or it doesn't come out exactly the way you thought that you get derailed from continuing that movement forward. That is, I think we've talked about that too. And that's something I've been struggling with. I mean, I think everyone's been struggling with this year, right? Because everything's been flipped on its head and it's like, well, if I'm not doing this, this way, then there's no way that I'm going to get here. But that's not necessarily true. That's what we're really learning, right? That, right? Wow, the potential is limitless almost. It's like, what could be possible? <laughs> totally. And it's, it's just, I think I'm maybe starting to think about it as a difference between a vision and goals. And if you have mm. a vision, you know what that you want your life sense. to look like. You have a goal in your life. You know what you want to leave behind in your life, right? You know what impact you want to make on people and on the world, right? Like I want to help people find their love of ballet, inspire them to overcome their fears, inspire them to be the best person they can be. And that can be done in any way, right? So if you think about yeah. the vision of that, maybe that maybe in the future won't even include ballet and it could still be my vision, right? So it could right, still yeah. be that, but then you can set micro goals along the way. But like ultimately when the whole apple cart gets flipped over, you have to put aside those specific goals. Like a triple pirouette consistently is no longer one of my specific goals because I have nowhere to practice that. But right. continuing to work, continuing to focus, continuing to work on things can still be one of my new, new goals, new specific goals along that vision. So I think it's very hard to think about the, the more flexible overarching vision and not get stuck in the specifics of the next thing you're trying to reach. Right. I think that is such a good word, the, the vision. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, I've been talking a lot about how it's really interesting, you know, how our brains try to decipher a path, a, a path forward for us by, you know, what they've seen either in our past or in other people's past. And so, like, we'll make a goal and they'll be like, okay, to get there, I have to do this because this is what this person did or this is what worked in the past. Um, and I've just been learning so much over <laughs> the whole lockdown, like, wow. There's other ways to get there that, you know, I never, ever would have thought of. But the more that I can focus on the moment, the like right now, like what is the next step that I'm going to do? And you know what? Like that doesn't feel like it's going to get me to my goal, but I really feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. I've been getting to goals by not doing what I ever would have thought would have happened. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I think that is, that's a great uh, word, vision. I like that. So what is your vision? My vision is that, like my big vision, is that I really want to help 
build a better ballet culture in whatever way I can. So right now that looks like, you know, just talking about all these ideas I have and thoughts I have everywhere that I can to anyone who will listen and inviting other people to kind of experiment with it and just be open to the possibility that it's not as narrow and strict as we thought. And, you know, and I have the Beyond Ballet community where I'm just really working on diving into that, um, that overlap of life and ballet, because I think as adults and like me, I'm a mom homeschooling young kids and still teaching at a studio. And so it feels like a lot of times if you can't do X, Y, Z, take this many classes a week and be doing this, then I can't be a dancer. I can't be expanding my love of the art form. And I'm just playing a lot with like, what is possible if we mesh life and ballet and don't keep it so separate? Like, this mm. is my life and this is my ballet practice. <laughs> so what does that look like? So for me, like, that looks like a lot of journaling and like with meditation, which I've really fallen in love with this year, it's brought me back to visualization, which is something I used to do when I was performing professionally is like anytime I had a show, I would spend a lot of time doing the performances in my head. And there's so much science now around that. So like, even though I don't get to take class very often, I dance a lot in my dreams. I fall asleep dancing all of the time. And I really think that does a lot more than we think. And, and then also like, how can I fit in little exercises here and there throughout my day where I'm putting all of my intention into it, right? I'm really focused on like the muscle or whatever it is that I'm trying to activate. And is that going to regress me the same or better than if I was taking a class in my living room with my kids running around being like, blah, 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 blah. You know, like, I don't know. It's just kind of experimenting with that and what does it look like to take the experiences from life and put them into ballet and then take everything that we're learning in ballet and like just diffuse it all over the place. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you don't have 90 minutes at once, maybe you have 90 minutes over time. If you yeah. think about spreading, you know, maybe you take one or two classes a week. I know personally I used to take about one class a week. So that's let's say 90 minutes that we're spreading across a week. If you take 90 minutes into seven days, you really don't need that much time every day to add up to 90 minutes of time. So if you do 20 minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, you know, you've gotten a pretty good, right. you've gotten your 90 minutes a week and it's a lot different than, it's, it's, it's a different experience than 90 minutes a week, right? You it don't get different. the, you don't get the like building to the 90th minute, right? The, the, the numbers right. 75 through 90 are the hardest because you're exhausted, right? You don't have that experience, right? but you also don't have the experience yeah. of forgetting everything week to week because it's been a week since you last picked it up. So you have a lot more consistency in that, I think, than, than the other way, but it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's fascinating. It's a totally different experience. Yeah. I miss class a lot. I took my first class of since quarantine last week and I you know, I just, I miss it so much. But at the same time, I've had to be really realistic about my situation at home and my life and everything like that. So I think it's always important, especially for everyone who's in love with ballet and wants to keep with it for 
their life is realizing that it's going to be seasons, right? I've had so many reintroductions to ballet. Like, I think every time I've had a kid, I've been like, well, that, that's it. It's over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you come back, right? And how many adults have we talked to that come back after being gone for a long time or being gone for a little time? And I think if you can realize that it's a long game, you're in love with this, you want to do it forever, and you're just going to keep it part of your life, and you're going to go up and ramp up when you can, and when you can't, you can still get it in there, and it's still part of you. I think that's so important. Yeah, and and the fact that you, like how you say, if you can, even if you ramp it down, you can still fit it in, right? Like, it's not like you right. have to, we tend to think in black and white, and we're like, if we can't do the 90 minutes, the 10 minutes isn't worth it. And right. it's, it's easy to think that. But I think, as you say, if you're in love with it, you can watch a video about it. You can read a book about right. it. You can stand in fifth position for two minutes. You can, right. you know, you can do it. Be relevant. And yeah. all of it is all of it is better than nothing, right? Because you're still able right. to think it and breathe it and feel it and experience it. And all of it is infinitely better than zero. Right. And especially, I think... Uh, for most dancers, since we are perfectionists and we think in that black and white, when we do zero, it gets us further and further into that hole of being like depressed, being like, I'm not a dancer, afraid to come back. There's just so many different emotions that come up when a dancer has to take a break or decides to take a break. And um, yeah, I just think that the potential, again, is like, limited to what we've put around it and the more that we can play with it and get curious about it and just be like how am I going to fit in this love of ballet see what happens yeah um so performances are obviously a little bit weird right now you have done some virtual choreography and some various little video type things what is your take on where it's all headed yes I think this is so great okay so where I think it's headed or where I want it to head. Both. I'm happy. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. curious to hear both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be really interesting to watch, right? Um, we've, we've already seen a, a, an explosion of creativity in just the way that companies and dancers are performing and bringing things online. I think that'll be really interesting to watch it to continue to develop the totally different experience performing online, learning choreography online, all of that. Um, But what I'm hoping and what I think could happen is that we're starting to open up ballet again, kind of coming back to that ballet hierarchy to bring it to kind of where our culture is right now and open it for other people to enjoy it and connect with it. Ballet performances historically having been in big theaters where you have to buy the expensive tickets and you kind of have to dress up and go and everything is great. And I love that. I mean, that's magical. Um, But I'm also really excited to see more open performances and just really accessible things and really um, more of an interpretation of our current culture. Um, Yeah. I'm excited about it. <laughs> Honestly, I am too. I think it's going to be great um, in, in so many ways. Like obviously it's going to be extremely painful as mm-hmm. changes happen, right? Change is always right. super painful and many things that we're used to having, we won't have anymore. Many, many things will, we don't even know what things, which things will, will survive. We don't know right. which things will make it and which things won't, right? We have no idea. Right. So yeah. be, there'll be extremely painful things throughout this process as things come For and go. Sure. 
But I think if we look five years down the line at where we will end up, I think it's going to be cooler than it ever was because as of now, it's really hard to even get access to full-length ballets and even watch people doing it. Instagram has helped quite a bit where you can kind of see what people are doing and watch watch dancers at a professional level very closely and have a chance to actually study them um, and have some of that opened up um, and and have creativity not be so expensive because you no longer need to put on a big production in order for people to see your stuff and so then therefore regular people can make stuff and people who aren't at the top can put their voices out there and so it's going to be I think a much much more of a democratization of performances because now a video will be an acceptable performance and people will be used to it and you'll be able to make a video of you and your friends who look like regular people who dance like regular people but who are doing something really really cool and I think that's going to be awesome yeah I agree I I just think it'll be really interesting to watch everything unfold I loved watching your um end of year performance with Broche was it in May um that was so fun and and yeah you had so many people that weren't even part of the studio that were able to put their pieces in I love that I think that just goes to show like it's not over right there's so much possibility right right I think just one of the um, things that breaks my heart the most that I hear people say is losing motivation because if I can't be in a studio what's the point or yes. if you can't do XYZ what's the point and um, I, it just, it kills me. It makes me super sad every time. I get it. I totally get it. I totally get it. But I feel like it just, it, it really makes me super sad when I hear that statement. I, yeah, that is something that has been coming up over and over again. People just talking about loss of motivation. I think that makes total sense. You know, right now with everything that's been going on in the world, there's been uh, just kind of the perfect storm for increased depression, anxiety, so loss of motivation to do ballet is totally understandable. Like you said, it breaks my heart too. And I, I understand not wanting to take class at home. It's part of the reason that I have it, as well as other reasons. But like, um, and that's why I keep bringing up things like journaling, like getting in a community, like talking to someone, watching someone. Like you don't have to take the class, right? There's been all these online classes available now for free. You don't have to take the class. You can just watch the class. You can get a lot from that. And just all of these like little experimentations of trying different things in your everyday life, to me, they really are motivating because it's like, oh, yeah, I love this. Like I do want to do this. (laughs) And and, um, I think everyone has to find for themselves you know, where's that line between feeling motivated before you do the activity or just knowing that, like, this is what you want to be doing and just doing it and then allowing that motivation to come. That is a very wise point. <laughs> oh, we've all been there. Right? Yes, the old, the old chicken and egg problem. Right, right. Oh, man, I feel you. I do. Totally. You've been motivating me. Can I just say that really quick? Every day on your Instagram stories, doing your uh, classes and exercises, I'm like, man, getting it every day. I love it. Every day. I think it just happens where I'm just like a little bit fed up with myself with not, with not taking time for myself. I'm like, dude, every time you do anything, 
you go way too hardcore and you forget about yourself every time. And then yeah. I'm just finally like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I want to exercise every day. People say you shouldn't. So I'll just do different kinds of things every day to make it so that I'm not killing my body and make it so that I can right. do something I really enjoy every day. And yeah. I, it's just, I'm, I'm just over it. I'm over not, yeah. I'm over not being there for myself. I'm over it. Totally. So, totally. And with you showing up for yourself, it motivates me and I'm sure hundreds of thousands of other people. Hopefully. I mean, if anything, if anything comes of me sweating on my balcony every day, <laughs> other than my neighbors thinking <laughs> I'm a bizarro person, <laughs> I will take it. Uh, but yeah, I think it's just like one of those, I think that this whole experience has been super eye-opening for so many of us in so many unexpected ways. And I think you just are able to see your past a little bit more clearly because you're at least I am so distanced from my past self because everything mm. is different I live in a different place I'm in a totally different environment everything was just removed in the same day I closed the studios on June 30th and moved on July 3rd so everything wow. closed on the same day and so for me wow. I had like this massive just like transplant of just everything ending at the same time I mean I planned it that way because everything was just sort of closing up at the same time, but it, it allowed me to have perspective on the way I was treating myself in the past. Because when you're in it, you can't see it. When you're in it, you forget to ask, like, are you, what are you doing? What are you, right. are you like still taking care of yourself? Are you, right. you know, are you putting yourself anywhere on the list of things that matter? Mm. Like even on the list, right? Anywhere. Right. And yeah. being in a totally different environment, I think, has just enabled me to see the world in a very, very different way. Um, and just like a little bit of a wake up call, like you're like, life is not guaranteed. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Um, it really isn't like I took the studios for granted. I took my team for granted. I took my dancers for granted because I just figured they were, I, they're going to be there. I didn't it never, occurred right. to me they wouldn't be there. Never, occurred right. to me. especially not without my choosing. It never crossed my mind. Right. And so I think that was I, a huge change of perspective. And now I'm just like, no, I've been wanting my entire life to have the discipline to exercise every day. My entire life, I've always wanted this ability to read and exercise and take care of myself. And like, tomorrow may not come. So that's it. It's got to be done. It's got to be done. I think that, yeah, I think that's been probably one of the biggest gifts for those who have been open to it for this experience. I... I had a similar thing of just being like, oh, like, yeah, it's not all going to continue the same way I think it is. And there's so many things that I was putting off or waiting until I felt ready or someone invited me or whatever, right? Or worried about what someone was going to say or whatever. And then being like, wait a second, now that's not even possible. Like I was waiting right. and now it's gone. So why am I waiting again? <laughs> right. Yeah, I totally. It's like right before everything shut down, I had been thinking like, well, you know, we haven't really been going out too much. So I started making like a list of restaurants that I want to go to because we hadn't gone in a while. And then like two weeks that everything closed. And I was like, dude, well, clearly you waited way too long for that. So let's just stop waiting for the future because it's like we're literally in the future. So I, I think it's one of those things where this time around, I know it's like easy to say it's different, but I feel like it's, it's different. I feel like I'm not fighting myself to exercise every day. It's not even a fight. I'm not even like, do I want to do it? It's more like, what do I want to do today? It's not a question of if I will. It's just like, what do you, what are you curious about? What do you, what hurts? Yeah. What feels good? What do you want to explore? Yeah. What do you, which instructor do you want to be motivated by today? It's more about what, it's not a matter of will I do it today. It's a matter of what I prefer to do today with my time. 
I love that so much. Yeah, that's something that I have gone back to again and again. I usually tell people, like, because I am not a type A organized person, even though I am a perfectionist, <laughs> a little weird, but I love, for me, what works so well is having a menu so that it's not, like, scheduled and it has to be this or nothing because yeah. I've tried that so many times and failed. Okay. That menu, like we're talking about, throwing in relevés while I'm brushing my teeth or just doing a porter bra or dancing with my kids, like, to a song. Like, I have a long menu, and whatever it is that day, whatever it fits in, yeah. it gets to happen. I think one, one question I wanted to ask you in, when you were talking about this, I'm glad, you, I'm, glad it circled, I'm glad the conversation circled back around to it. Um, when, when I started exercising every day and kind of doing things that I was curious about, I found it really hard to actually know what I was curious about. And mm -hmm. I found that I, was, I would wake up and be like, what do you want to read today? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, you have no interest? You have no interest. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And when I was a kid, when I started, well, I guess I call 17 a kid. I think that's very young. When I was 17 and started ballet, the teacher would be like, stretch, do whatever you need for stretch. And I'm like, how would I know what I need? Uh, <laughs> right, right. Do you have, um, I mean, yeah. that's like I figured it out, but I'm always curious on people's perspectives about this who are in this boat. Totally, totally. First of all, I just want to say I love how you are narrating that other voice because I do that all the time. And sometimes I'm like, don't you have that person who's like talking to you from the outside watching and being like, what are you doing? What do you, what do you mean you don't know? Totally. Well, and I always joke about that voice because sometimes it gets kind of rude up there. And I'm like, right. <laughs> and I'm always like, you know, I'm the one who feeds you. Like this could all end. <laughs> That's so weird. It gives you your lunch. So like be nice oh, to me, okay? Be nice I love it there. so much. I love it so much. Anyways. So yeah, this is, this is such a great topic because um, that is something that I'm trying to like through the journaling and meditation and visualizing is guide people back to that knowledge that they have actually inside of themselves. You know, that's like intuitive eating, intuitive movement. We get so detached from ourselves and for some people at a very young age, but I think most dancers are in some regards detached from themselves, which is funny because we are so in our bodies moving, but we're so used to someone telling us exactly what to do and what it should feel mm -hmm. like and what it should look like and what we should eat and stuff like that. So uh, it's like this this making space to get to know yourself again and to trust and believe that you do have the answer. <laughs> I heard um, this thing and I can't remember where, but it said that I don't know is a limiting belief. And that like, it like smacked me because I say, I have always said, I don't know. There's probably my entire life. I've looked to other people to make choices for me. Mm. Like, it's like, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. Like, I don't know where should hang that picture. I don't know. <laughs> and so that has been a big journey for me in the last year, too, of being like, oh, actually, you do know. You're just afraid that it's going to be the wrong answer or, like, some weird thing like that. And so I think it's a journey, right? But it's a process of making the space to actually hear what you're thinking, Right. And so have you ever read the book, um, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron? I have it on my shelf, but I'm only just now recently reading as a human being. So hopefully it'll <laughs> incorporate into my <laughs> life. <laughs> yes. 
I love reading. That's been a huge part of my journey. Um, so she has a practice in there that I talk about a lot with my journaling students called Morning Pages, and it's where you write stream of conscious for three pages, and you have to commit to those three pages. And it's kind of like the whole idea of that if you commit to continue writing for those three pages, you'll make it past those surface thoughts of like, I don't know what to write. This is stupid. I'm not a writer. I don't have anything to say. I got to go do this. And then you'll actually start to like get to the deeper thoughts of what you're thinking and feeling and stuff like that. And I think even just wider than ballet as a culture, we're so disconnected from our senses and from our feelings and emotions that it's that work, right? It's that work of like when I started meditating at the beginning of lockdown without a guided voice, it was so hard. Yeah. <laughs> like I, uh, it's okay it's okay yeah. because for the longest time I meditated with the guide I needed the guided voice and so I read this book another one uh what's it called uh rest less accomplish more I think by Emily Fletcher that um it's great yeah so she would have you start the meditations by going through your five senses and like thinking of like what's the you know most strong taste and what's the least strong taste and when i first started doing it i was like tastes like tongue like i don't know what do what do you want me to say <laughs> like and like with smell too i was like i don't smell anything and i was like sitting there being like this is the stupidest thing ever like i can't i don't have any words um and it really took time but now i feel like i've I can detect and like put words to different tastes and different smells and like those tiny sensations of feeling and stuff. So I think it just is deciding that you want to reconnect to yourself and all of the knowledge that you actually already have. Why so, did you keep trying? Um, I, you, so if you read the book, she just talks so much about the benefits of meditation and like any other perfectionist, it was like, I'm going to get this. <laughs> I'm going to nail meditation. <laughs> yes, that's, that's right. Meditator out there. <laughs> it was like, it was like, I am going to check this off. I can do it. Um, but yeah, it was such an interesting journey because I always thought of meditation without the guided meditation of like, you have to not think. And I was like, I can't do that. And in that book, she talks so much about how telling your brain not to think would be like telling your heart not to beat. It's just yeah. not going to happen. You just got to get comfortable with the thoughts and just them being there and coming in and out and whatever. And that's like hard, right? We're just constantly judging everything. Like, But can you imagine if we were like, man, my heart is just like, it's not beating right. Like, I just can't get this thing. <laughs> yeah, I always, I always wonder why we're so hard on our brains. In, in a different way than the rest of our body. Like yeah. my brain is just doing its thing, right? It's doing its thing about yeah. like, I'm like, where, what do you, you know, I'm like. <laughs> exactly. It's just like, it's just doing what it's supposed to be doing. Oh man, so funny. Well, um, to wrap up, I guess we have gone so many places with this conversation. There's no <laughs> way to even wrap it up into a single point. So let's make a new one. <laughs> okay. If we had, if you wanted to, leave our listeners today with something to inspire them for their day if let's say let's picture someone re listening over their morning coffee if you wanted to give them something to inspire the rest of their day what might you give them mm, that's a hard one 
I would, I would encourage them to like take a moment. Maybe if there's a bunch of other people, maybe they could go in the bathroom. I hide in the bathroom a lot or my closet. <laughs> take like a couple of deep breaths and listen for that voice. Not the one that's like up here, but like the one that's a little bit lower, maybe in the heart or the gut of like, what is something that I would love to do today? And then go with whatever the first thing is that comes up and be open to how that could be interpreted, right? Because maybe it's like, I want to go back to bed and you can't do that. But maybe somewhere in your day, you could just like lay down for a few minutes. Like right before this call, I laid down for 10 minutes because I was so tired and I was like, well, there's no way I could take a nap. But the more that I can be open to like, well, how could I honor that desire that just popped up? I don't know. I think the more you follow those breadcrumbs, the more that you do connect back to yourself. That's really powerful. That's really powerful. I feel like what came into my head was I could go for some pasta. So I feel like that means Ooh. <laughs> that should happen soon. <laughs> I think that's, yeah, next on your agenda. I think so. The body, I think, I think it's true. I think the body knows what it wants and I think we just tell it that it's wrong and we tell it to quiet down and we tell it that there's no way it could possibly want that and we tell it all kinds of things yeah. but realistically um you know uh, the answers are already there you already have them all you already you already right. know what you, want. you already know what you yeah. need you just have to be open to as you say be open to it honor it be open to the possibilities that yeah might come your way yeah and then maybe you'll get more pasta and naps I mean who doesn't want that sounds great <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Well, Elizabeth, okay. thank you so much for being on the show. Um, if you guys don't already follow Elizabeth, go check her out on Instagram at The Whole Point. Check her out on YouTube, The Whole Point. Um, consider joining her Beyond Ballet community the next time she has enrollment open to hear her thoughts and be a part of that community, exploring all of this. Um, it really does help to work on your mind as much as you work on your body, if not a three to one ratio. Yeah. <laughs> So thank you so much for being on the show. Yay, thank you. Thanks for listening today, dancers. For more adult ballet, you can follow our studio on Instagram and Facebook at Broche Ballet. You can follow me on Instagram at Julie the Ballerina or check out our blog and YouTube channels for more content. You can even dance with us in our online studio with daily live Zoom classes, private lessons, and our on-demand video library. Don't forget to have your story featured on our podcast. Email us at hello at brocheballet.com. I'm Julie Gill, and this was Broche Banter. Happy dancing!